thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. Well, it happened in an instant the other day. I was, I was out at Target completing my Christmas errands. Not really for my family. I still have all those to do. And for the church, I was picking up a few things, and it, it happened in an instant. It really did. It was kind of crazy. I was getting a few things, and I saw a lady coming out of Target. She had like three kids in tow with her, and she was frantic, and she had bags, and she had kids all over, and she was going to her car. She had a coffee in one hand. She was trying to talk on the phone. I don't really know how she was doing it, to be honest with you. It was, it was amazing, and it wasn't one of those how-are-you phone calls it was one of those really serious ones, like something out of an episode of CSI where time is running out, where someone is going to get hurt or, or worse or something like that was happening. And she's on the phone, and I'm assuming it was her husband or boyfriend or someone like that, and she's shouting. And it's like she's working over a criminal to find out their master plan. Where is it? I thought you knew. As she frantically loads things in the car, I have to admit, I'm watching with a mixture of compassion and expectation to see what happens next. And don't act like you haven't done this, because I don't believe you. You start making bets with yourself about whether she's going to lock the presents into the car seats and toss the kids into the trunk. <laughs> Maybe you've been that person. I've been that person before. And so it's, it's a mixture of empathy but expectation, because if it's happened to you, you kind of want to see if it happens to someone else, right? Okay, okay, we've all done that before, I suppose. I would have intervened if she had thrown the kids in the, in the trunk and slammed it down. I would, have, I would have done something at that point. I'm not that mean. But as she's closing the trunk, I think she's putting her cart away on the far side of her vehicle where I can't see, okay? And so at this point, I'm like, okay, everything's good. The kids are in the seats. Everyone's fine. She's still on the phone. She's frustrated. I'm, and I kind of said a little prayer like, Lord, be with this lady. She's just having a really, really difficult day. And as she goes backing out of her space, uh, she backs out rather vigorously. And I mean vigorously, kind of like the Fast and the Furious, but with minivans and car seats. Kind of like that. I mean, she kind of like drift raced her van out of the parking lot. And as she backs up, all of a sudden I see this red cruise missile come past me at about Mach 2. And I realize it's actually her shopping cart. So she left it like on, I guess, the back corner where I couldn't see. And so it goes careening, it goes flying past me. I mean, I, I'm not even, it's zipping past me, and there's cars pulling in and out. You know how busy it is over at Kent Road there, like, you know, Christmas time. And it goes flying down the row. I mean, and there's nothing I can do. It's gone. It's gone. And it went all the way down to a hit, like one of those little island divider kind of things, like where there's like parking spaces and everything. And the cart hits that, and as I watch it, it goes um, pinwheeling, kind of like a NASCAR accident. It's like pinwheeling the shopping cart. And I thought to myself, that's why Target calls their app for smartphones Cardwheel. It makes sense now. It, that's not at all, that's not all, that's a bad joke, but it's a true story. And the cart didn't hit anybody. It just lay there kind of in this wreck. It wasn't, the cart, you know, those things are made to go. Like the cart, if you ever wonder why your cart does this, Whatever you get it, I think that's why. It's things like that. Things like that happened. And it really was a miracle in all seriousness that no one got hurt, nothing got damaged. And sometimes those are the kinds of Christmas miracles we, we actually experience. And it's a hectic time of year. It's a hard time of year for people. We can get so distracted, so overwhelmed, so distraught in life that we miss what God is doing all around us. Things can distract us. Things can 
ding us and, and beat us up, and it's just part of that human experience. We can become so burdened by all the bad things, whether they're huge, difficult things or just a bunch of little things going on around us, all the negativity we experience, all the things that happen right in front of us. And because of those things, we often don't see where God is at work. Christmas, if we're honest, is no different than any other stressful, busy, or disorienting time in our lives. And yet, somehow, in some way, Christmas of all times of year can feel worse. And those feelings we have in small degree can feel even amplified. And I asked the question this week, I was praying about this, I thought, why is that? When all these little things happen, we can get so hectic, so distracted that somehow bad things happen to us or we inadvertently can hurt someone else where we don't even mean to, like that lady almost did. We can almost have these moments where something happens when lives can crash and burn and feel so out of control. And it's that time of year when we want to be the most focused on what matters, on our family, on our loved ones, on Jesus. Our lives can feel like that cart I watch in the parking lot, flipping and spinning out of control with no idea which way is up, just waiting to see what happens next. And maybe you've had some of that in your past, or maybe just this past week you've had an experience where you felt like that. I want you to know this morning, I don't want you to worry because as we come into this Christmas season, no matter how you feel, no matter how frustrated you've been, no matter how hard things have been, and I know some of you that I've talked with or heard about it and praying for you. It's been a hard week. I understand that. We have folks that aren't here this morning because they have hard things going on in their lives. And even some of them, I, you know, I, I'm praying for them. And they said, just don't share anything right now. I don't even know what to say. And it's okay. God's bigger than all of that. And he understands that's not the end of the story. As we're going to see today, those moments when God seems to be nowhere, and life seems to be the most out of control. Those are the moments where God can break through in the strongest and most transformative ways in our lives. He can break through anything and everything that's going on. And we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to open up and read from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. One of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture. You can find that on page 909 in your pew Bible. And here at SBC, we want you to really dig in to know God's Word. That matters to us. And we want you to know this book that we have is truly our only rule for faith and life. And that means we measure everything against it. We believe what it says is trustworthy and it's relevant for our lives today. So if you want to follow along, it's in your bulletin. Or you can open up in your Bible and get used to that. Luke chapter 2, page 909 in your pew Bible. Read this familiar story with us, a message that we may all need to hear today. So let's take a look at that this morning. Luke chapter 2. In that same region, shepherds were staying out in the field and keeping watch. They were keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This, this will be a sign for you, that you will find the baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and in peace on earth to people he favors. When the angel had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, what the Lord has made known to us. 
they hurried off to Bethlehem. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary's was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. So we're going to talk about a few things today. We're going to talk about a few things. Sorry about that, guys. New system. We've got to figure a few things out. A few things we're going to talk about today. First of all, we're going to see God's plan and how God's power breaks in when we least expect it. Maybe we should see what God's doing. Maybe we should understand it and we should feel it and be better at seeking to find out what God's doing. But we're going to see that God's power breaks in when we least expect it. He is working even when we're not aware and he will break through to us. Next, we're going to talk about how that power transforms and it changes us. Because we often feel like we're not worth it. We can feel so far from God and his love. We can feel often like outcasts. Even though we may not want to admit that to someone else, we feel like it. And whatever's happened in your life, we're going to see that today, that God is a God of love and of mercy and compassion. And the Christmas story reminds us so powerfully of that truth. God loves us, no matter how far away we may feel, no matter how much of an outcast we may feel like deep down inside. God is the God who seeks us out, often when we feel the farthest from Him or when our life feels the most out of control. In all of this, we're going to see that God breaks into our lives. He transforms us to make us something new. Our lives are changed. This is the message of the gospel, and that's what Christmas is all about, that Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. He says that in Luke 19.10, but that's the reality that we learn in our world this day, that Christ comes to us. And finally, when that happens, when God breaks through, when those things begin to change inside of us and we have new lives, when our lives become different, we see that those lives are something new. They have a new purpose, the echo in response. We, our lives, sing out praise to God for all that he's doing for us and what he's even doing in the world around us. Sometimes it's just for what he's doing inside of us. And we just have to respond to that. We just have to praise God and who we are and how we live. Not just singing in here, but definitely that, but how our lives are lived out. Because when God gets a hold of us, there's always an element of proclamation. There is joy that we're talking about this morning that God gives us, where we cannot help but say something to someone. When you felt lost, when you felt weary and rejected and something powerful changes, all of that, when God gets a hold of you and makes everything different, you don't say, well, that's nifty. You don't just say that. No, you shout it out with joy. You proclaim it. And that's the greatest reminder for us today. Christmas shows us the power and the priority of proclamation. That's the power of Christmas. So let's take a look at this first idea today, that God's power breaks in when we least expect it. Nowhere has that ever been easier to see than in Luke 2 where Jesus is born. God's people have waited, and God has been silent for 400 plus years. There have been no new prophecies. And while God's people had returned to the promised land, while they had in many ways seek to repent, even some folks like the Pharisees were driving them to try to be perfect because they thought if maybe they did that, God would love them more and God would respond. They were waiting 
but yet no Messiah, that promised one that would lead them into this new life, a new hope that would come to usher in this new kingdom. The Messiah hadn't come. In fact, instead of that, all they knew was hardship. The Romans had occupied them. They'd had a lot of pain, a lot of loss. There was only misery and suffering. That seemed to be all they experienced wherever they looked. Look at this passage here from Micah, one of the later prophets who proclaimed that God would come back in power to deliver his people. That's what we heard Zechariah preach. And if you look here at what he says, we heard Zechariah, the prophet last week of God, that, that, that priest, he had this message where he said in his Benedictus, his prayer of blessing we talked about last week, he reminds us of what Micah, he echoes what Micah says, Israel will be abandoned till the one who had been promised would return. Look what it says here. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over all Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel, I will abandon, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the ruler's brothers will return to the people of Israel. This promise that one would come from Bethlehem, that would be raised up. But until that time, Mike even says, God's people would face abandonment. There would be a sense of loss. But yet the promise would be fulfilled. The ancient of days, as we call Jesus, the one promise back in Genesis, the one that would come and crush the serpent's head would come. Sin and death would be defeated. And Israel had waited and even longed for that to happen. How about you in your life? Do you have moments when life just seems to send things at you left and right? Maybe not like shopping carts, but sometimes that might be what it is. When things are hard. When things are painful. Whether it's one gigantic impossible thing or a hundred small frustrating things where you feel like there is nothing but loss and hopelessness all around you. Christmas can be that time when we miss that God has been at work in our lives all around us the entire time. All along, God has been there. But we're too busy. We're too frustrated. We're too frantic. We don't stop to breathe, to pray, or to listen. We don't see it, even when it's all around us. Now, Christians, we have the Holy Spirit within us, and often I feel like we can get so distracted by the hurts that we're experiencing that we don't really listen to God or seek after Him, or maybe we're not sure how to do that. We may want to do it, but we don't even know what that looks like, and life can be so overwhelming we don't know where to start. Today I'm going to give you a simple formula. Start by saying, God, I am here. Just close your eyes in the morning and pray, or close your eyes when a hard moment happens. Pray a simple prayer, something like this. Use your own words. God, I'm here. I know, I trust, I believe you are here. Speak to me today. And all that that I experience, the good and the bad, give me the humility to wait and listen to see you at work. Something simple like that. I want to encourage you, just think of that in your own words. God, I'm here. I know you are here. Just proclaim that you know God is here, that his spirit dwells within you. If you're a Christian, speak to me today and all that I experience, give and all that I experience, that doesn't mean just all the good stuff. Give me the humility to wait and to listen 
that I would see you at work. That's a powerful prayer. That's trusting in the promise of this passage that God breaks through when we least expect it. Even though God's word promised he would come to Bethlehem, nobody seemed to really expect that to happen. And yet God can even use the unpleasant things in our lives, just as he did in Jesus' life, to change the world. Have you ever thought about that, that God uses the unpleasant things to change the world for the better? God's providence, his common grace, that even people that don't know Jesus would know that there is a right and a wrong, and that even bad things are not what we want, and good things are what God has for us, even if they don't even know for sure if God's out there. What's worse than taxes? Only one thing, we would say, right? I don't know. Taxes might be worse than death. I'm not sure if they're worse than death. <laughs> we have some professionals we can ask about that. A king, a dictator, a ruler, Caesar, he has taxes. He makes everyone go back to where they're from. We know this story so well, we didn't even think about it. You're going to have to travel. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. I don't care if you're pregnant, Mary. I don't care if you're poor, Joseph. You have to go back to Bethlehem. I'm the, I'm the ruler. I'm going to get the power, Caesar says. And Herod and those who ruled said, that's right, and I'm going to get some of it too. No one's going to beat me. And yet God uses that to send a teenage girl who we learned about a few weeks ago and her husband to Bethlehem so the prophecies like Micah 5 would be fulfilled. Because as we've learned lately, not one promise from God's word will ever, ever go unfulfilled. That's why we say God's word is true and trustworthy. We can Believe every word it says because God alone has the power to make it come true. God was speaking that day. And just as we have to come to God and pray humbly, Jesus comes into this world in the humblest of ways, born in a manger. A simple wooden box, probably in the lower level of a relative's house where all the animals came in at night. God was speaking. God was speaking in a way still powerfully. He was about to say something really, really big. And that leads us to the next idea today. God's power transforms all of us, but especially those who are the outcasts. Now, we have to understand that shepherds were not the most welcome people in Jewish culture. They were almost always ceremonially unclean. They couldn't attend the temple. They couldn't offer sacrifices. So some people even regarded them as beyond God's grace. They were going to die and go to hell because they couldn't go offer sacrifices. They were just the most rejected people. And sheep were always in the center of trouble because they're dumb. That's why Jesus used them, uses them to describe us. They were always in an agrarian, in an agricultural society. They were always eating somebody else's money, eating somebody else's crops, getting on someone else's property, Shepherds were thought of as unruly, disorganized, and even thieving people. No one liked them. They were despised and thought of as smelly, dirty, low-down, cheating, and even criminal. That's what they were thought of. They were so despised 
that shepherds were not even allowed to testify in court. They couldn't even fill out a police report. They were guilty before being declared guilty. If someone wronged them, what could they do? These were definitely the outcasts. Who in our world, who in your world specifically, would have the title of more than not good, worthless outcast? Who would that be? Maybe you've been that person or felt like that person in your life for someone else. Where you just could do nothing right. If so, I'm sure you felt rejected. And I think that's how the shepherds felt. And that's how people feel sometimes, even though we don't recognize it. People feel that they're beyond God's love, that the church could never welcome them. The church could never love them. Yet God's power breaks through. And it's our job to be a part of that and break through that people would know that God's glory is real. Here in this passage, God breaks through and he does something extraordinary And that leads us into our conversation here today about this anthem of Advent. We're talking about these anthems as we repeat the sounding joy. And today the anthem is sung by the host of heaven. An angel appears and suddenly these shepherds, these men who felt beyond any hope of God's love, are surrounded by God's glory. Stop and think about that for a minute because we run past that in this story we know so well. These are the ones who experience God's glory. These are the ones who God appears. He sent his messengers to the outcasts. Zechariah, who felt like he was washed up. Mary, who felt like she was rejected. These shepherds, who felt like nobody could ever welcome them. God's glory was experienced by them. It shone all around them. It enveloped them. And look how they responded. They responded the same way we would. Look at verse 9. They were terrified. Yeah, God's glory, God's glory does that to us because we're all sinners. We have things that are messed up in our lives. These men, because of their lives, because of their reputation, because of their lack of wealth, anything going their way, they didn't know what to do. They were terrified. Who could they tell? Why would they go tell anyone? Because would anybody believe them? They weren't even able to file a police report, let alone speak to anybody and have it be considered in their culture trustworthy and true. But God chooses them anyway. And the song begins, as the song begins, the angel that appears says something powerful. Don't be afraid. If you grew up with church, maybe you learned the old version, fear not. Don't be afraid. There is a message we need to hear today more than that one. I don't honestly know what it would be. Because we are all often, more than we would like to admit it, we're afraid. And often it's layered. It's in different parts of our lives, isn't it? We're afraid. We don't even want to admit it because we feel like we should be strong. Sometimes our lives feel like that shopping cart I saw spinning out of control when we are afraid. We're afraid to look up and see what's going to happen next. We're embarrassed of what others may think or may assume about us. Feel the full weight of this moment in God's word when the Ancient of Days comes to redeem us because he comes to those who were 
in every sense of the word, considered unredeemable. Beyond the prophecies, beyond all that had been said, this was the last place anyone thought God's glory would appear to declare redemption. These men felt like they were the last to ever have a chance at redemption, but God came and he declares something powerful. Look at the words the heavenly host, the angels sing in their anthem, the joy that they produce. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Think about that word. The same word Mary, an outcast teenager heard. The same word that Zachariah and Elizabeth who felt like things had just not worked out in their lives. The same word. They're favored. God has chosen them. He has called them out. No matter what they had known, no matter how they had screwed up, no matter how hopeless they felt, God had chosen them. And he has chosen you too. He has called you. If you have Christ in your life, he favors you. He delights in knowing you. He has sought you out. You are loved. You are accepted. And you are called to be God's treasured possession. That's the power of this anthem from the heavenly host. And that's what we are called to declare in our lives at Christmas. This is God's love song to a weary world. That what the angels proclaim, that God had come in power to save you, to know you, that you are loved and that you are his. That's the song we are to sing in our lives to others. So what are we going to do with that? How are we going to do with that? Our final idea. Change lives. Proclaim the grace they know. We are all part of God's story of redemption. You are not too far away for God to love you, to transform you, and to make you his very own. If you don't know Jesus today, he is just one prayer away from that. He said, just give me your life and I will make it something that you can never imagine. And when he does that, when he changes our lives, nothing should be the same. It's not that we're perfect, but yet God is with us in the darkness. That light that glory of God can break through no matter what we're facing, no matter what is happening. Those shepherds had been sought out and God was not only failing to reject them, but he is telling them that he favors them. That's grace. And God's grace in our lives always produces joy. Notice how they respond to God loving them, to God welcoming them in. They go and they proclaim it straight away. They go and they proclaim it straight away. When the angels had done that, they said, we've got to go and we've got to tell someone. They've got, we've got to tell someone. That's what we learned in verse 15. They go and they proclaim. We have to go tell others. There's no doubt God's at work. And they look at each other. It doesn't matter that they don't know if someone's going to believe them. We have to tell someone. Now remember what we said about the shepherds. They weren't respected. They couldn't even talk to anybody. But God chooses them, even them, to proclaim the truth about who Jesus is and that the Messiah had come. The promises God had made since the fall in the garden were coming to pass and you are going to declare it to a world desperate, even a world in despair that doesn't think that God is even real or he's even out there. Because if God really cared, something would have gotten better by now. 
Yet, that's what God does. Encountering this anthem, this song about the birth of Messiah, brings transformation in the lives of these shepherds, of these men. The purpose and priority of the gospel is clear to them. They know God's grace, and the purpose and the priority of the gospel is proclamation. That we would tell other people. The reason Jesus came wasn't just so we could sit in our hands and think about how that's so nice that God loves me. Now I don't have to worry about that whole eternal damnation thing. No. That sounds silly, but it's absolutely not what Christmas is about. If you have been sought out of the darkness, if God has given you his love and his favor, you must tell somebody. The shepherds, they obey. They go and they find Jesus and they declare everything. They trust that God is bigger than their past, bigger than their reputations, bigger than what other people may think, bigger than their fear of what could happen if they don't have the right words. And they bear witness. They proclaim what God has done, all they've just experienced. They share that anthem of his grace. They share with joy about how we are all favored that God had come, even them. That God had come. And look at Mary, who sang that Magnificat and said, look, God has come and he's favored me. Even though I'm not anybody, God has called me out. And look what God's going to do for all people. She treasures that. She hides that in her heart. And those shepherds do the same thing. She meditated on it, it says, in verse 19. That's our call this Advent. To meditate to really think, to really understand and live into the fact that God loves us so much that he calls us out of darkness, out of hopelessness, and out of despair into a new life with him. We need to respond like the shepherds in verse 20. They glorified and praised God for all they've seen, all they've heard, and all they've been told. What about you and I? Today you may feel something in your past makes it impossible for God to redeem you or to love you, let alone perhaps accept you or use you. But God makes it clear time and time again in his word that he uses those who are willing to proclaim the truth. God breaks into lives when we least expect it to redeem us all, even the outcast. And he calls us into new life. The question is, what will we do with it? The shepherds, they praised God and they lived into that new life and not to their old one. And that's what we must do. We must respond humbly to God's grace. Knowing that God saved us when we couldn't save ourselves, it is humbling. That's what those shepherds, they knew, they knew their reputation. They knew what people thought of them or even knew about them. But they had so much joy. That knowledge of what God was doing changes them. It motivates them. It should do the same for us. And the next thing we need to do in our lives is we need to Proclaim God's truth boldly. So we respond humbly. We proclaim God's truth boldly. And we tell others about him. The shepherds had zero chance that anybody should listen. In their own estimation, this shouldn't work. But they were, went straight to work. They went straight to doing what the angel had told them to do. And they proclaimed boldly what they had seen and what God had done. And then the last thing they did, they went away praising God and singing to him and glorifying him. We should worship God fully. We should see him as our redeemer. We should have joy. That's an essential element of this proclamation. We should have joy. We should have joy when we sing in this place. We should have joy in our lives. When we stop, when we listen, when we say, God, I know you're here. When we humble our hearts and we say, I know you're with me. 
Show me where you're at work. Show me what you're doing. When we do that, the miracle of Christmas changes us. It fills us with peace because we know God's with us. It fills us with hope because we know that God has given us a future that's different than our past, but it also should fill us with joy that we would understand that God has a mission and a purpose for us. I love what Dr. David Platt says about this. God blesses his people with extravagant grace so they might extend his extravagant glory to all peoples on the earth. That's what those shepherds did as they heard this anthem from God's heavenly host. And this week, make sharing that extravagant grace, make that the center of your Christmas to everyone you encounter. You never know when God is just waiting to use your willingness to humbly respond, to boldly proclaim, to be a part of him changing a life. He is at work, often when we can least see it. But if we would respond in grace, if we would proclaim that in truth in our lives, if we would say that no matter what you feel, God is with you and there is joy, there's no telling what God would do with us if we would be willing to step out and to say, hey, Merry Christmas. Help somebody load something in their car. Smile at somebody. Take one of those books, invite them to church. And say, why am I church? Well, that's fine. I just wanted you to know that I love you and that this is what Christmas is all about. That's what we're about at this church, is that people would know that there's something that should rise up to tell us to pray, pray and to sing with God if the Christmas story doesn't cause us to rise up with joy and to say the truth that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Friends, I don't know what would. Will you do that this week? To proclaim boldly, to respond humbly as the Spirit works, and to worship fully in your life. Let's pray. Father, that you would take us, that you would use us right where we are, that we would belong to you, that we would understand the miracle of Christmas, that God blesses us with that extravagant grace that he provides for us in so many ways, not that we would just sit and think, how nice, but in every way we would reach out. Sometimes he does that the most fully when we feel the most out of control, when life feels like it's pinwheeling and just going to break down. Those are the moments, God, when you break in, when you can use us and fill us with joy in the most unexpected of places. God, do that through us as we make ourselves available, as we stop and wait and say, God, you're with us, your spirit's in us. Use us, we pray this week. In Jesus' name, in all God's people said, amen. amen.